Well, the last phrase of that song serves as a fitting summary of what we want to think about today from John chapter 21. This response to Jesus that says, I will give my life, my all, to love and follow Him. To love and follow the risen Lord. This is what Jesus draws Peter back into this loving relationship where he can follow after Jesus and do what Jesus has called him to do. Now, I think most of us would agree with a phrase like that, to love and follow our risen Lord. Yes, I want to do that. But then life gets complicated sometimes, doesn't it? Well, sometimes we have good intentions to follow after the Lord and then we mess things up. We make a mistake, we fail, we get off track. Sometimes there's this thought process in our heads, right, that God has this will, and it's like this straight, direct path, and as soon as I have messed up, I'm over here in left or right field, whichever way we're looking here, and then I'm sort of out of His will, right? And so then now I've got this, like, lesser path that I have to travel, and I've messed it up. How do I follow the Lord if I've fallen, if I've failed? Sometimes the future confuses us. We think, yes, I want to follow the Lord, but I I really want to know what's coming. What's the next step? What's this going to lead to? Yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but what do I do now? Maybe some of you are there with recent graduation, wondering, what's the next step, Lord? What do you have? Life gets complicated sometimes. Even relationships can get complicated. We look at others and we begin to compare where, where they're at and where we're at. And we want to follow the Lord, but I thought it would go kind of like their life is going. And my life doesn't seem to be going that way. Why is following so difficult for me? It seems to be going well for them. And so again, things get complicated. As the Lord Jesus works with Peter here, I think we find some helpful encouragement for us as we seek to love and follow the risen Lord. So let's learn along with our friend Peter what it means to follow after Jesus. Just a little bit of context as we dive into chapter 21. Jesus is risen from the grave. He's alive. And this is another appearance of Jesus. As we studied last week, he appears there on the shore as the disciples are out on the water and they can't catch any fish all night long. And Jesus in the morning on the shore calls to them, cast on the other side, and they do, and they catch 153 uh, fish, as John remembers. And uh, they drag those fish to shore. And there's Jesus with breakfast prepared for them already, providing for his lost boys, his little lambs who are in need of his help. And he calls them into breakfast and there uh, they talk and share. And we're not privy to that conversation. But at the end of breakfast is where we find ourselves in verse 15. And there we read that when breakfast was finished, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus says something to Simon Peter. And again, this is the Apostle John, we believe, sort of giving us this account. And we can imagine Jesus maybe calling Peter over and maybe them starting to walk along the beach. This is sort of a seaside chat as they make their way. And Jesus begins talking to Peter. Why do I say they're walking? Well, by verse 20, we learn that the apostle John is following them. So they must be going somewhere. So Jesus and Peter are likely walking. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't call Peter, Peter. Did you notice that? 
What does he say to Simon Peter there in verse 15? Simon, son of Jonah, or John, some of your Bibles may say. The spelling is very close. Simon, son of Jonah, or John, do you love me more than these? He asks him a question, and he calls him Simon. Now, where did Peter get the name Peter? From Jesus. All the way back at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we can read about that. When Jesus first met Peter, Simon... Jesus said to him, you will be called Cephas or Peter. And so forward, that was Peter's discipleship name, his follower name. With Jesus as master and Peter as follower, he would be called Peter. So why Simon here? I think Jesus is kind of uh, signifying where Peter sees himself at this point. Peter's sort of fallen away from the Lord. He's denied the Lord three times and went back to fishing. Remember, Jesus had told Peter, from now you'll be a fisher of men. But Peter's sort of fallen away. And I think he sees himself sort of in his pre-disciple state. Oh, I've messed it up. I'm lost. I'm I'm done. He called me Peter, but I, I failed him. Three times I denied him. So he goes back to fishing and Even now, as the Lord calls Peter, Jesus recognizes this is probably what Peter's feeling. Simon, come here. And Jesus begins this process of restoring Peter. And so Jesus asks Peter a question. Do you love me more than these? And our minds might go first to, what are the these? What's he talking about? You know, is there there along the seaside? Some speculate that maybe it's the fishing gear. Right? And so Peter's gone back to fishing, and it's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, are you willing to leave this and follow me? Do you love me more than these fishing items? Those of you who love fishing, you're, you'll be happy to know I don't think that's what Jesus is referring to here. You don't have to necessarily abandon fishing in order to follow Jesus. I think Jesus might be referring to the other disciples. Peter, do you still claim to love me more than these other disciples love me? Peter had indeed made a claim of that sort. In fact, we don't have to look that far back in the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, when they're there in the upper room and Jesus is telling them about this new command when he will leave. He says, love one another as I have loved you because where I'm going you cannot follow, but eventually you will follow. Then Peter makes this bold statement, well, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll even lay down my life for you. Kind of stepping up above all the other disciples. I love you so much, I'll lay my life down for you. And then, of course, Jesus tells him, no, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And so this question, Peter, do you still love me more than these? Still claim to love me more than the rest of them? I think we do see a humble response in Peter. He does say yes, but... Now his claims to fame are not, yes, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. No, he simply alludes to the all-knowing gaze of his Savior. Yes, Lord, I love you. You you know, you know that I love you. Jesus uses a strong word for love here, agape love, self-sacrificing love, lay down your life kind of love. Peter responds with a softer term, phileo. It means this uh, affectionate love. And so again, he's not claiming this high, proud kind of love for Jesus. He's just saying, Lord, it's laid all, it's all out there. I, you know I love you. You know I love you. Interestingly, Jesus 
asks him again. He gives this second question. This time the comparison has been set aside. It's not about uh, the other disciples or whether he loves them more. He just asks them again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter responds in kind, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The same words in both occasions. You know that I love you. Jesus closes with his same response. He gives him a task. The first time it's feed my lambs. The second time it's tend my sheep. And the variation, I think, just represents that there's different ways of caring for different kinds of sheep. Lambs being maybe young sheep and sheep being maybe older sheep. But the the point is the same. They're members of Jesus' flock. And so Jesus, in light of Peter's love, says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Care for my lambs. Care for my sheep. But then Jesus asks a third time. I mean, two we would understand, right? Just to, just to make sure, we'll ask it twice, but three times. Okay, that's getting a little out of hand, right? And Jesus asks a third time, and you see it there in verse 17. John makes sure we know it's the third time. Jesus asked him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This time Jesus uses the same word as Peter coming to his level here. Do you love me? Do you have this affection for me? And Peter uh, says to him in response, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Again, just just referring to the all-knowing gaze of his Savior. You know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. But there's an added comment here. John knows, maybe because he saw it visibly, or maybe because in their friendship Peter shared this with him later. But John points out to us that Peter was grieved that Jesus asked a third time. I think it's in that third question. Peter's eyes are opened and he understands, oh, I see what's going on here. Three times I denied my Lord. Jesus is not rubbing that in his face, not at all. Jesus is giving him affirmation three times. One for each time that Peter denied his Lord. Now there by the fire of coals, just like the very night when Peter betrayed the Lord as the same aroma wafts towards his own nose. There the Lord three times gives him the opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus. And that third time brings to mind, oh yes, three times I failed him, but three times I have the opportunity now to say, I love you, Lord. I love you. Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. And it, it, Peter has indeed been humbled. It's not claims of, of grandeur that he brings to the Lord. Yes, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I'll die for you. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. No, it's just, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. I love you. And so Peter is restored in his relationship with Jesus. Jesus pursues him, calls him over, and this three time is meant to affirm in Peter's mind that he has been restored. Three confessions of love, three commissions to service, one for each betrayal. Peter affirms his love and now has been restored to Jesus' mission for him. Feed my sheep. 
This is, again, a call back to the same purpose I think that Peter has had all along. From the beginning, Jesus has told Peter, follow me, and then to become a fisher of men. And then in John 13, this new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. I think that's exactly what this tend my lambs is. Jesus was the good shepherd. How had he loved? He had tended his sheep even laying down his life for them. And now Jesus says to Peter, you too will now tend my sheep, care for them, and, as we'll see, even lay down your life to care for the sheep, to follow after Jesus. So Jesus just affirms this loving relationship with Peter and draws him back into the mission that he'd had from the Lord, to love others as Jesus had loved him care for the sheep, to nourish the flock. Jesus cares about his sheep. It's not just becoming a member of the flock, but growing as a member of his flock, from maybe a lamb to an older sheep to one who can then care for other sheep in the flock. This is Jesus' purpose, not just to become a member of a flock, but to grow, to be discipled, to mature. And this is what Jesus calls Peter to do. And if you read Peter's letters to the church, you can see how he adopted this language himself, even calling the elders of the church to do this kind of pastoring. Shepherd the flock of God, he says. This was his life's work because Jesus had called him to do it. And he did. What we see here in Peter in this first section is that Though he had failed, Jesus restores him to his mission and stimulates this kind of love in Peter. Not only love for Jesus, but then love that cares for the flock of God. So, restored to his task. It's the very restoration and forgiveness of Jesus that compels Peter to then do what Jesus called him to do. And so, friends, here's what we learn from this as well. Though we fail... Jesus' restoration stimulates our love. When we come to Him for forgiveness and find that He cleanses our sins, not only are we stimulated and energized to love Him, the One who forgave us, but then also to serve Him, to do what He's called us to do, to live for Him. This reminds us in ways of a mother's love, the stereotypical mother's love that sees beyond our shortcomings, right? Whose children have no faults. Maybe you've heard the phrase that's built off of this concept. Well, that guy has a face only his mother could love, right? Hopefully no, no one's ever said that to you, but the point is, the stereotype is that moms look past our faults. They, they see the good in us willing to forgive and to restore and look past our shortcomings. And as that happens, our love is increased and encouraged, and so too with Christ, that in His forgiveness, He he draws us back to Himself, helps Peter through what he had done, and three times lets Peter affirm his love for Jesus. And out of that love, Jesus then commissions him, okay, show your love, Peter, feed my lambs, tend the flock. I've laid down my life for them. Are you ready to do the same? 
Peter indeed is ready. Though we fail, Jesus restores us and that stimulates our love. Friend, it may be that you're here today and like Peter, you've failed the Lord. In fact, I can guarantee every single one of us in the room has failed the Lord at some point or another, many times. Maybe you're weighed down today by your failures. The sins of your past continue to haunt you. You wonder whether God could ever have use of you. Maybe you wonder whether God could even forgive the things that you've done. Maybe you find yourself off in left field, like I mentioned earlier, strayed from the path of God. Oh, how can I ever get back? Know the heart of our Savior today who restores His followers who fail and commissions them again to live for Him. It may be that you're here today having never confessed your sins to God, never trusted in the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. That weight of sin on your shoulders is called condemnation. It's the just wrath of God for the things we have done wrong against a holy and righteous God. Without Jesus, the weight of our sin indeed does rest on our shoulders and those of us who have not been forgiven will pay for our sins in death. But that's exactly why Jesus came. It's exactly why the good shepherd laid down his life. It's why he died on the cross to pay for your sins and for mine. To be the perfect sacrifice of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why John is writing. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Your sins forgiven and life everlasting imparted to you from God. And then, having received that life, here we are in chapter 21, learning then what it is to follow, to become a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you've trusted in the Lord Jesus as Savior, then you are a follower. However well you're following or not, you are a follower. And so learning what that means to follow after Him, to walk in His steps, Keep your eyes focused on Christ. This is part of what it means to be a believer. He calls us to return, not in proud accolades of what we'll do for Jesus. Oh, I'm back, Lord. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to serve you in this way. No, that's not how we return. We come humbly and we appeal only to the all-knowing gaze of our Savior. Oh, Lord, you know all things. Here's my heart. It's laid open before you. I love you. And he forgives us and commissions us again. So friend, return to the Lord. Confess and forsake your sin. This is what he longs for you to do. He wants all to come to repentance. Turn back to the Lord and know his forgiveness. He has a purpose for you and it begins with repentance. Then we love Him more in light of His forgiveness. We see what He's forgiven. And as Jesus taught in the Gospel of Luke, those who are forgiven much, love much. As we know what Christ has done for us, we love Him even more. We learn the cost of His sacrifice. The longer we live and the more we see the reality of our sin, we realize what it was that Jesus truly did for us. And so we love Him more. And we're spurred on to even more love for Him, to love His precious lambs. 
Again, this feed my sheep is somewhat unique to Peter, and yet in other regards, it's not. As brothers and sisters in Christ, in the flock of God, the family of God, we are indeed called to care for one another, to love one another, to meet each other's needs. And there is a specific role for the elder pastor in shepherding the flock of God under the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that. But there also is a real sense in which we are called to love and care for one another, to tend the flock of God, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. And so as you love Him more, consider how might you participate in His love by tending His flock, caring for His sheep. And so the encouragement of Jesus to Peter and I think to us as well today is, get going. (laughs) If you love me, then I've forgiven your sins. Now, Do, go, get back in the ring, (laughs) start working at it again. Friend, be honest with the Lord about your sin. Don't defend yourself. Open yourself to His gaze. He knows it all. Accept His forgiveness and get going. Get back on track. You're not off in left field anymore or right field. You're not just out there wandering around. No, He has a purpose for you. So know His forgiveness and serve Him again. He died to give us life, not so that we would wallow in our self-pity, but that we would live for Him who died for us and rose again. But this is not where the story ends between Jesus and Peter. Interestingly, in verse 17, the conversation has sort of ended with Peter saying, Lord, you know all things, you know I love you, and Jesus again saying, feed my sheep. But now Jesus has some teaching for Peter, and he shows Peter he really does know all things. He begins by saying, most assuredly, or truly, truly, this is really going to happen, Peter. And he actually predicts the future of Peter's life. He says a few things. When you were younger, looking back to before he was even a follower, he girded himself, dressed himself, and went where he wished. But when he's old... Now that he's a follower, he has a different path. When he's old, he will stretch out his hands. This was a euphemism in that day for crucifixion. It's likely what Jesus is referring to here. And another will gird you, clothe you, and carry you where you do not wish. This is a rough prediction for Peter. A glimpse into his future, and it's... Jesus saying, I want you to feed my sheep. And indeed, as you said early on in your big claim to fame, you will lay down your life for me. How do we know that's exactly what Jesus is referring to here? Well, John clues us in in verse 19 that, yes, Jesus is talking about the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. See, John knows what this is all about. He too is living for God's glory, whether life or through death, whatever it may be, that's what it's all about. And so he knows that his friend Peter would glorify God through death, maybe even crucifixion. Peter knew his death was coming. He confirms this later in his ministry in 2 Peter 1 verses 14 and 15. He writes about the fact that Jesus had told him that he was going to die in the near future. He knew it was coming. And yet he trusted the Lord through about three decades of ministry between this passage and when he was killed, at least as we look back at history. Trusting the Lord, knowing 
that he would lay down his life, Peter kept on feeding the sheep. John has this same perspective. He knows that Peter's death would glorify God. That's the path of Jesus, isn't it? Who, by his death, glorified God and may even call us as his followers to do the same thing. He pulls no punches here. Jesus is making it clear what it means to follow after him. You may follow him even through death, or you may die for his sake, for his glory. But that's the thing. We're talking here, Peter's talking here with the risen Lord. That's the beauty of it. He's following the one who came through death and now is alive. And so he truly can say, as he does, follow me. Because even through death we follow Jesus. Death does not stop him. Nor does it stop us when we follow him. We keep on following through death into life everlasting. And so Jesus says there at the end of verse 19, follow me. He doesn't dwell on the fact that Peter will die for the sake of Christ. He says, even though you know this is coming, follow me. And it's a following that has in view not just death, but looking beyond death to eternity. Peter, continue to follow. Here I am, risen. Keep following, you'll get through it, you'll die, you'll be raised, follow me, you'll be with me forevermore. And so Jesus encourages him to follow, knowing, knowing Peter's future, he calls him to follow. This is an encouragement to us as we follow the Lord. He knows our future and still calls us to follow him. He knows what's coming. And his instructions are clear. Follow. Keep following. Not even death can stop it. Follow. Keep following. Maybe you've been sidetracked by question marks about the next step, confusion about the future, wondering where to go. Follow. Remember... When I was young, my mom had taken me to a department store to do some shopping. And it was a busy store and a crowded store, you know, all the clothing racks up next to each other, the big round ones with all the clothes on them, you know. And so, stay close, Lance. Okay, mom. So we're doing the shopping, looking at clothes and so forth. And this must have been one of my first shopping trips because I discovered the wonderful world inside the clothing rack. You part the clothes and it's like a a pre-built fort ready and waiting for you. And so you enter in and close the clothes back up and you found like the world's best hiding spot, which were not my mother's instructions. But there I was enjoying my hiding spot among the clothing in the department store and thinking this was all in good fun. I wouldn't be in here long. I'll catch up with my mom. No big deal. But she had moved to another rack and then noticed very quickly I wasn't there and so began searching and calling. And whether or not I heard her or just thought it would be funny to stay hidden, I don't remember. We'll leave that uh, out there for the Lord to know. And uh, sometime later, my mom had found the store manager and they're searching the department store. And so a word to our children, do not hide from your mother in the clothing rack. (laughs) She found me eventually, right? 
and uh, instructed me again to stay close. (laughs) And I remembered my lesson. Follow, stay close, stay near. I don't want to lose you. And there's no chance with our Lord of being lost. And yet his instruction is follow. He knows the future. He knows the path. And indeed, it may weave here and there, around and between clothing racks or whatever other metaphor you want to use for the stuff of life that comes up. But Jesus continues to say to us, follow me. It may even be through death itself. But the risen Lord says, follow me. It's okay. I'm alive forevermore. Keep following. Keep following. That's his instruction for us. He knows the future and he calls us to follow him. Maybe the future is a concerning topic for you. What will happen? What does God have in store? What's the next step? Does your future seem uncertain? Don't let the unknown freeze you in your steps. Follow Jesus as he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry about these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Maybe you have a sense of God's next steps for you, but you're afraid to take that step. Keep following. Not even death itself can keep you from Him. Do not fear the future. He knows it. And He says to us, follow me. What are you facing in your future? Maybe you have dreams of doing big things for God, like Peter in his earlier days. Oh yes, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. Even as he tells Peter that he will lay down his life for him, his focus is not on that big deal. His focus is just follow me. It wouldn't be 30 years until Peter was ready to do that. What was in between? Day after day, following Jesus. Sometimes we get sidetracked by the big things, thinking that, ah, we've got to do a big thing for God, but what he's really just saying is follow, follow, day by day, in the little moments, in the little choices. You see, a life lived for Jesus is made up of little steps for Jesus, following after him. What is the next step for you? Ironically, right after Jesus' instruction to follow me, I love Peter, by the way. Right after Jesus' instruction to follow me, we read in verse 20, then Peter, turning around, wait a second, Peter, (laughs) come on. Jesus says, follow me. Peter's like, huh, what? He's turning around. He's looking behind him. That's not following, Peter. Come on. But quickly we see ourselves. Jesus says, follow me. Hold on just a second. I got to check something out. Who's that behind us? Now, I love imagining these scenes. There are Peter and Jesus sort of walking along the beach and Jesus is giving him this somber, deep instruction. You'll you'll be stretched out. You'll be girded by others. You'll be taken where you do not wish. Jesus says, follow me. And then Peter kind of turns and sees John. And was that an awkward interchange? I don't know. You know, John's kind of tracking along with him and Peter turns and, 
hi, <laughs> you know, John's embarrassed. Yes, I've been listening in, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how all of this unfolded, but Peter sees John, and I think they're good friends. They spend a lot of time together, as we've discovered in the Gospel of John. And so Peter's thinking is kind of prodded here, and I think it's of genuine care for his friend John. He turns to Jesus and says, well, what about him? What's going to happen with his life? Is he going to come to the same end as me? I mean, is this what we're all going to face, is this kind of death? And Peter begins to wonder about his friend John. It's possible there's some sentiment of competition here between them. I don't know. But the point is, he's turned. He's distracted. He's looking back at John and asks the Lord, what about him? John goes to great lengths to keep his identity hidden, as the author here He just says that Peter saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and in case we hadn't tracked who that is yet, he points out further, the one who was right next to Jesus at the Last Supper, who had asked him who was going to betray him. And if you remember, it was Peter from across the table who kind of uh, hinted at John that he should ask this question in the first place, right? So again, you see their relationship at play in all of this. So Peter, seeing John, asks this question of Jesus. And Jesus' response is so helpful. He says, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus says, If if he lives until I return. I mean, this is not just not martyrdom. This is not death at all. This is like best case scenario, right? This is kind of what we're all hoping for. It's like, okay, Jesus, come back. Just Bring me up into the air with you. That would be so great. Maybe today, right? And it's good for us to hope for that. So this is like best case scenario for John. John won't even taste death, possibly. He says, if, if it's my will that John remain till I return, here's the key. What is that to you? Peter has his own unique path. John has his own unique path. And so what's this mean for Peter? You follow me. You follow me. That's it. Don't concern yourself with what's happening with John. Don't be comparing yourself to him. You follow me. So rather than fixate on what's happening in other people's lives, Jesus calls us to stay focused on him and to keep following We notice that the Lord has a will regarding the very length of our lives on earth. If I will that He remain until I come. You see, our lives have the appropriate path, even the appropriate ending at the right time in God's time. John will live or die at the right time. Jesus is indeed Lord of our lives. And our task is to focus on Him and to follow When we are sidetracked by comparison, He reminds us to focus on Him and His path for us. It's so easy to have those Peter moments in life, right? Okay, Lance, here's what I want you to do. You follow me. Here's your path. Here's what I have for you. But but what about... But they turn aside and we look to others and we begin to compare. I, from a young age, have been a bit particular. It's a weak point in my personality. I like things just so. 
The Lord's teaching me little by little to be patient. But a humorous example of this involved both my mother and my grandmother. So when I was just a little guy, still sleeping in a crib with a blanket, uh, I was staying with my grandmother. And so my mom had given her instructions. You should go to bed at such and such a time. He likes to sleep with his blanket. And, uh, and so anyway, you should be fine. So there my grandmother and I are uh, at her house, and I'm in the crib, and she's putting me down to bed. And as the story goes from both my grandma and my mother, uh, I was standing there at the side of the crib, and um, I was getting ready for bed, and my grandma said, okay, go to sleep, good night. She said, well, I can't go to bed yet. Why not? What's wrong? My blanket's not folded the right way. Okay. So my grandmother comes back over to the crib and pulls my blanket back out and tries folding it another way and puts it back in. Okay, now you can go to sleep. No, no, that's not the way my mom does it. Okay, so my grandma tries again, folds it another way, and I think finally figured out how it must have been folded the right way, and I was able to go to sleep, right? Just like my mom folded it the right way. That has been a humorous story between my grandmother and my mother for many years. Uh, I've become a little less particular than that, hopefully, and I no longer sleep with my blanket. You'll be happy to know. (laughs) My grandmother took it well, but there was that comparison in my mind between the way my grandma did it and the way my mom did it, and I definitely like the way my mom did it better. Comparison can often sidetrack us and miss entirely the act of love that's happening right before us. And as Jesus calls us to follow him, don't be sidetracked by comparison. Distractions causing us to turn from side to side. There are so many things vying for our attention, and one of the greatest culprits is comparison. For some reason, we think that every Christian life should go exactly the same. And sadly, that comparison becomes the seed of discontentment and distracts us from being thankful and from following after Him. It can happen with children, the the number of children we have, or their behavior. It can happen with health. Why can't my health be like theirs? It can happen with finances. Why did they get more money than me? Clearly, I handle it better. It can be about physical appearance. Why do I have to look this way? Why can't I look like that person? It can be about our successes. Why can't things go as well in my life as they're going for this person? It can be about church growth. We watch another church thrive and do well, and there's a little bit of bitterness in our hearts. Well, how can they be doing well? And They must be doing something wrong over there. It can happen with our talents and abilities. Though we have some, we want the ones that somebody else has. I wish I could do that like them. It can happen with our personalities. Why do I have to be so particular? It can even happen on Mother's Day. As we compare the other mothers that different people have. Why couldn't my mother have been like that? Or why couldn't my mothering scenario have been like that? Or why can't I be a mother? Comparison will quickly sidetrack us from the path that Jesus has for us. Different for each of us. 
As we all follow after him, the key is to be thankful and to follow, not to let comparison sidetrack us, but instead to follow after him just as he has called us to do. In fact, this reminds us of the very nature of the church, doesn't it? If our paths were all the same, where would be the body of Christ? Are not some of us feet and hands and knees and arms and so forth in this metaphor of Christ's body where we all have a different part to play and a different path to walk, but all of us following after Jesus. And so our fellowship and unity is around Him as together we seek to follow, though we each walk a different path. So be thankful and follow. Well, the irony continues as Jesus has just said to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, John begins to instruct us on what had actually happened in the early church following this statement. Apparently, this saying had sort of gone around the church, and verse 23 breaks it down for us, that that Jesus had predicted that this specific disciple, John, would not die. Jesus would return before John died. And at the time of his writing, John is likely very old. And so I think John is sort of including this here as some corrections, some shepherding of God's flock to say, hey, don't latch on to what Jesus didn't say here. He didn't say that I wouldn't die. The church is spreading rumors, well, John's about to go, so Jesus must be coming again soon. And John's saying, no, 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 no. He didn't say I wasn't going to die. He didn't say I wasn't going to die. He's calling them back to listen carefully to what Jesus has said. And that's a significant issue when it comes to following Jesus. Here, John is correcting the early church believers from doing this, sort of the same thing Peter did. Latching on to the wrong thing when Jesus speaks. Well, what about John? What's going to happen to him? No, 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 Peter, 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 Peter. What's that to you? You follow me. And so John actually quotes the statement again. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? And it's almost with that last phrase that he's speaking to the reader. (laughs) You too don't worry about John's life. (laughs) Don't worry about whether he's going to die or not. That's not the point of what Jesus said. The point of what Jesus said is follow And so John's sort of shepherding the early church to do the same thing. Just focus on Jesus. Follow. Verses 24 and 25 provide a wonderful conclusion to the book, but I want you to notice specifically how they conclude. John draws attention not only to the spoken word of Jesus, but to the written word of Jesus. And I think, again, this conclusion is meant to help us see how we follow So now, this is the disciple who testifies of these things. The the disciple whom he loved, John. John's the one writing. And he, what, wrote these things. See, the eyewitness testimony, the ears that were just within earshot following Peter and Jesus on the beach, who saw the 153 sheep, or fish, (laughs) who smelled the aroma of the cooking breakfast, right? John was there. He saw it all. And now he's saying, I saw it, I heard it, and I'm writing it down. So don't go off running with hearsay about what Jesus has said. Read what he said. He didn't say I would live until Jesus returned. This is why I'm writing here. Read, believe, read, 
this testimony is true. He says, we know that his testimony is true. I think he's referring collectively to the disciples, kind of like he did at the beginning of the gospel in 114. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So again, he closes, we saw him. And we know our testimony is true. You see, Jesus had commissioned his disciples not only to see and to believe, but then also to speak and then to write. He told them this in John 15 and 16, that when the Spirit came, the Spirit would bring into remembrance, do you remember the phrase? All things, all things that they needed to know. So that then the apostles could write down those things so that we then could read and follow after Jesus. And just in case we wish there was more, John concludes in verse 25 and says this, There are many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. It's like concludes here. Point. This is the end. Amen. I wrote what I wrote by the Spirit's leading so you would have all that you need to know about Jesus in this life. And indeed, there is far more you could know about Jesus. And at first we read John and think this has got to be an exaggeration, right? There's no way the world could contain the books that John wrote. But then we pause to remember the the Jesus that we've read about in the Gospel of John. That he's the Word. That he's God. That he created all things. That he's the I Am. That he's been from the beginning. We pause to reflect Actually, I don't think John's far off. I think if it all were written down, the world could not contain it. In fact, in John 17, 3, Jesus himself says, This is eternal life, that you may know God and the one he sent. So friends, for eternity, the riches of an understanding and knowledge of God will be unfolded for us, and it will never end. Better believe the world can't contain it. But John has written what we need to know for this life to follow him. The other apostles adding as well. And so we have our New Testament canon. All things that the Father intended for us to have, for us to follow the Son. And so, friends, we learn that though we don't know everything, the written word is sufficient for us to follow. It's enough. We have it. It's written. Don't go off of hearsay. Don't just go off of what you see other Jesus followers doing, the the fads. Well, those people say they follow Jesus and they're doing this right now. So that must be good. No, go back to what it says. Here's where we read what Jesus is actually like and what it actually means to follow after him. The written word written by those who saw him and knew him and beheld his glory and were actually commissioned to write these things down. I, uh, on a rare occasion, was doing some baking recently, uh, something I'd never baked before, and the recipe I was using was from my mom. And it was something I'd never baked, and I'm not great at baking anyway, and so I was already trying to follow the recipe. But there were a few things in it that were uh, confusing, I wasn't sure about. Is that really what you do with this ingredient? And Should I really put that much in? Is that, is, I don't know, this doesn't seem right. But then I noticed there were handwritten notes on my recipe written by the handwriting I recognize, the handwriting of my mother. Uh, Ah, I can trust the notes. 
I'll follow the notes. And so little scratches here. No, use this instead. Or this much is better. Or things like this along the recipe. And I, ah, I'm, I'm going to follow my mother's notes on the recipe. And sure enough, it turned out just fine. Following what was written. It helped me get through the recipe. And as Jesus, our shepherd, has left for us the written word to help us as we follow. And so in those moments of question and fear and wonder, even comparison, come back to the written word and see what Jesus says for you. Follow me, he says. And it's all written here. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, all that we need to know in following the Lord We have it written in His Word. Friend, you can't follow Jesus without pouring over Scripture. It's how we follow Him. It's where we learn what He's like. It's where we read His instructions. It's how we walk in His steps. We must read the Word. Study it. Take it in. Does your life revolve around the Scriptures? If you want to follow Jesus, then get in the Word. Don't just do what you think Jesus would do. Don't just do what other Jesus followers seem to think is a good idea to do. As John pointed out in the early church, that got them astray. What they needed to do was go back to what was written. Read what Jesus actually said. and Let His Word impact your heart and life. Let His Spirit change you and shape you as your heart is laid bare before the one who knows all things, embrace his promise of forgiveness and his commission to live and love others for his sake and follow on his path by relying on his word. He's given us all we need to follow him. Whether you failed, whether you're afraid of the future, whether you've been sidetracked by comparison, Love and follow your risen Lord. Come back to Him and His Word. He has a purpose for you. His forgiveness is waiting for you. Turn back to Him and follow. Live for Him. The one who died for you, that you might live for Him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, our good shepherd who laid down his life for us and then has passed along this task of tending your sheep. Oh, Father, in our church here, help us to see one another as your precious lambs (laughs) with all the, the funny smells and acts of harm toward one another, typical of sheep. Lord, help us to bear with one another and to love one another and to care for one another, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. May our flock represent the very love of Jesus Christ because He laid down His life for us. Father, we want to follow after Jesus. Increase our love as we embrace His forgiveness and increase our ability to follow as we get into Your Word and read and grow. Help us to follow, we pray. And we ask it in our Good Shepherd's name, Jesus. Amen.